0: The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome. I'm Steve Martoreno, and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on The Corner, The Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hello everybody, welcome again to the Behavioral Corner with me, your host and guide Steve Martireno. If you're not familiar with what we do, we hang on the corner here as it were and wait for interesting and informative people to join us and they often do, they always do. We hope you're finding us uh, informative. It's a podcast about everything because frankly everything affects our behavioral health, the whole thing, the whole shoot and match uh, made possible by our underwriting partners, Retreat Behavioral Health. One of their resources will be joining us in a second. First, let me uh, introduce the kind of topic uh, Tom and I will be talking about. We've done many, many shows here on the corner about uh, mood disorders and mental health issues. And Tom has often joined us for, for those discussions. We have spent less time on the impact of mood disorders and the family Uh, When talking about uh, substance abuse issues, we always uh, say that um, addiction is a family disease. Well, much can, the same can be said about mental disorders. It it affects uh, everyone that it comes in contact with. So we're going to find out about the two things, mood disorders, what are we talking about, and the impact on families facing these uh, problems. As I said, Tom Longenecker has been with us frequently in the past. He's a great go-to guy on these issues. He is with Retreat Behavioral Health in the capacity of a uh, clinical supervisor. So, Tom, welcome uh, back to the program. We always appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Steve. I'm always glad to be with you and all your good work.
0: Let's talk about mood disorders. They are not all the same thing. Um, There are many of them. I guess the most common and notable would would be clinical depression, but there are are many others. Can you take us through a couple of uh, uh, examples of mood disorder? Sure. So,
1: I think, you know, we certainly think about depression and anxiety, but I think Oftentimes when we're talking about mood disorders, we're really looking at what we call cluster B or personality disorders. There we have perhaps the most uh, known is borderline personality disorder. We also have uh, antisocial personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, uh, narcissistic personality disorder. They really all kind of orbit around a hub of high energy being excitable, often just erratic mood changes. We can't really It's difficult to track and uh, volatile emotions, emotions that are just big, big emotions. And underneath it, there's actually a very fragile ego structure, despite how that person might present. Mm -hmm. uh, The the ego structure is often very, very fragile. Um, So an antisocial personality disorder. um, there's, There's a real disregard for other people's rights or really respecting any kind of kind of common courtesies or mores laws. Um and so there's a very erratic lifestyle often. Not always, not always. Um, you know, but we can see this in people who have constant run-ins in the law with the law. But we also see this not uncommonly with leaders in business. You know, people in uh white collar positions of great power and authority can be recognized by deception, uh, manipulation. The real goal is to gain personal gain. That mm-hmm. seems to be one of the, the underwriting drives under antisocial personality disorder. But again, you know, we we tend to see that in criminality, but that probably has more to do with socioeconomic class directing somebody in one direction as opposed to another.
0: These behaviors can show up in all walks of life. You see a high incidence of these kinds of disorders in uh, in the arts as well,
1: correct? Certainly. Certainly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let me ask you about bipolar disorder, which is another topic that people know, uh, think they know a lot about. Where does bipolar disorder fit in the description you just made.
1: Well, bipolar disorder is a separate disorder, and this seems to be very, very physiologically driven. Uh, there are two or two diagnoses that we primarily two diagnoses: bipolar one, and you know years ago this was called manic depressive. Okay, and this is what characteristically, when people think of that term or would think of bipolar, this is usually what people are thinking about, which are periods of extreme high or mania. And that's going to be noted oftentimes by uh, grandiosity. I'm going to find the cure for cancer, despite having never gone to medical school. Mm -hmm. I often talk with my people that I've been working with, and they usually agree with this. I can't keep up with myself. My energy is just going too fast, too much for me to keep up with, but I like it. Okay. So you'll see people up for days, generating ideas, shopping, hypersexual and cannot really keep up with themselves they're they're just being driven and motivated so quickly and the other side of that then is deep depression then there's bipolar 2 which is really not just a milder form of bipolar it really is a different kind of bipolar and that is noted by the mania is not as high it's usually we call it as hypomania but the depression is distinct biggest issue with bipolar 2 is people tend to have more of those periods more of those episodes which is very, very wearing on the body and the psyche and the family.
0: What do we know about the brain chemistry of these episodes? What's going on when you say in the manic state, Mm -hmm. um, and you characterize the behavior. Mm -hmm. um, What sometimes we miss is they like it. This is a high. So what do we know? Is it dopamine flooding the the brain at that time? What do we know about brain chemistry?
1: There there certainly is. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, this is, not being driven by the upper cortex of the brain. This this is often uh much much of the activity well that's maybe not quite fair to say, but it does seem to my knowledge and my reading in the area that it is really driven by um more primitive forms like deeper parts of the brain that are driving this this energy. But yeah, it's certainly and it's enjoyable for the mm-hmm. most part. It's very enjoyable um and so that's the attraction. That's why people will often go off their meds because It's enjoyable. Yeah. Um, And the meds blanket them and kind of are suffocating. And uh, the idea of just the creativity or the idea that I'm so creative, just the energy level, uh, the ability of the sense of invincibility, you know, this is hard to compete with. There's often a disappointment, a deflation, a grief that people experience when they come out of that manic episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and then into the uh, depressive stage, which which was where, I, as, as I understand it, the danger can occur because depression is a scary uh, darkness. You know, I read a quote of yours just recently from another interview you've done, and you talked about depression, and certainly that's a part of bipolar disorder, big part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you described it as a sort of uh, fatigue, mm. and here's the phrase that will stick with me for a while. You called it a withering away at imagination. Expand on that for me. It's a great analysis.
1: Sure. I mean, you can kind of see the opposite of that is Mania is is so characterized by an explosive imagination. I can see everything. And the causes for self-harm at that point can often be, in mania, can often be because I don't see the limits. I don't have it.
0: They can be accidental. Right. But yeah. it's,
1: it, it's not necessarily going to be, a, it's not something I'm seeking mm-hmm. because this is too good. Mm-hmm. But the withering of imagination and depression is I, it's difficult to foster or summon up hope. It's difficult to foster or summon up an idea that I can be different. This depression will last forever and ever. I will never escape it. It will never let me go. It has its claws into me. And the other piece about any kind of depression is it really puts the blinders on. Yeah. Okay. I only see this very specific area and I can't see all the periphery about it. And another piece also is people tell me things about myself, and I can't even see that. And I think if you really knew me, you would know what a fraud I am. That's one of the challenges of speaking with people about depression. You want to build them up. You want to speak truth and hope to them. But in the midst of depression, my imagination is withered. And so I can't receive that, and I will reject it. Now, you really don't know me.
0: Well, your description of the, uh, your use of the word imagination in, in the description is what uh, I find so spot on. Because, you know, most people think your imagination means you're making things up that are not mm. true. And that's only part of what an imagination can do. I mean, we imagine everything, really. We imagine our lives. We imagine, I imagine I'll go to work this morning. We don't think of it as an imaginative idea, but it is. Let's see, I woke up, now it's time to go to work. I'm imagining myself go to work. When you say that people in the, in the throes of a depression have a, a harder time thinking that anything will be different than this. I think that's worth pondering if you're living with or know someone who is clinically depressed. Uh, uh, Tom Langenegger is our guest. We're talking about uh, mood disorders in general. We're focusing on bipolar. I think bipolar disorder is more more often diagnosed. I think people, uh, something like 20 million people, suffer from some form of mood disorder. So I think more people are familiar with that. At least I see it a lot. I see the diagnosis anyway. Uh, So Tom's taking us through a little bit of that. But the focus I'd like to move to now, uh, uh, Tom, is the people that are around someone Mm -hmm. who is bipolar or, or has a mood disorder, their loved ones and their families and the impact and the role they can and ought to play. What's the impact on the family? Obviously, it sounds devastating.
1: Yeah, and maybe a way to back that up is to think about anybody who's living with depression, anxiety, bipolarity, borderline personality disorder, and any of those cluster B disorders. That person really struggles to regulate their own thoughts, their feelings, the reactions to what's going on around them. They're often working through different kinds of mood stabilizers, stimulants, antipsychotics, anxiety reducers, sleep aids you know so they're living in this world where this is what i need to do to somehow regulate myself to be able to get the things that i most want so you know imagine i struggle every day with just having kind of normal relationships being able to trust develop viable friendships i'm plagued by jealousy constant fear of abandonment um i react to any signs that somebody's going to step away from me uh there's a lot of shame and then a lot of desire to to escape the shame um and you know you recognize that there are psychiatrists who avoid giving you know some of those diagnoses, like a a borderline personality disorder diagnosis is a difficult one to have because other clinicians are might be very tempted not to want to work with somebody. So that kind of abandonment is is real, and so many of the, so much of what people are living with is just a lot of misery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then families—that's what the person with the diagnosis who's living with this reality is living with—all that fear. But so do those who, who love and are around those people.
0: There are support groups for everything in our culture. Most of them are very helpful for people who uh, who need um, you know a community of like-minded people. Um, and we can go through, and I and we we should here now a, a number of things that uh, people uh, in relationships with uh, mood disorder folks should and shouldn't do.
1: And I think just to kind of keep it simple. Because there's so much we could talk about with this, but one of the key pieces is when I ha- there's somebody in my life whom I love and who's in my life and I'm concerned about. I, it's easy for us to get lost in their world. So one of the key things is to learn how to take care of ourselves. One of the first things to really recognize is my worth is not in that person or that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, my worth is always going to be found in living in close connection with my deepest values and the actions that, that I do because of those values. So being very clear about some core values that you have is really, really key. And investing in those.
0: Before you can enter into a relationship with somebody who has.
1: We're usually already in those relationships. But to really reorient and redirect how we are in those relationships. is. These are the things that are most important to me. These mm-hmm. are the values that I live out of. And mm-hmm. they drive me in different directions.
0: What happens when those values, no matter how um, positive uh, attributes they might be taken by themselves, what happens when those values and beliefs are in opposition to the disease of a mood disorder? I mean, you know, things like hard work and moderation mm-hmm. uh, are all core values that are good, but you're not often in you know, going on with someone. How do you reconcile the things, those
1: two things? And I think that's a perfect way to look at that because, you know, Steve, you're going to say, I value hard work. I value regulation. This person in my life, that doesn't seem to be the things, their behaviors don't suggest that's what they also value. Mm -hmm. Whether they do or not is a different story, but their behaviors don't. But the key here is, but I do. Mm -hmm. And so in my own life, I value hard work I value regulation mm-hmm. um, because it's important to kind of build that core so that I am, you know, obviously they're, they're not set in in steel. OK, obviously we move, but that's what is going to direct my drive, my actions, where sure. I'm going. OK, and, and the other thing is to recognize uh, one of the best ways to find out what what really means something to us is when we when we betray that value mm-hmm. and it hurts. Yeah, yeah. That actually tells us that that was important to me.
0: In the past, when we've discussed helping family members and loved ones who have substance abuse disorders, the, the metaphor often used was you must be careful when you approach someone who's drowning. Even though you're a very good swimmer, unless you know what you're doing as you approach the problem, the drowning person can take you with them. Certainly. Uh, most life-saving courses will tell you that. Same thing here. I understand that. And obviously, uh, it it makes sense because you can't help anybody if you're in trouble yourself. But as a clinician, as, as someone who's treating the, the other side of that equation, the sufferer, uh-huh. the person you know, in depression or bipolar problems, again, what if the family and the loved ones view that behavior that's antithetical to their beliefs and values as willful uh-huh. and not necessarily pathological? They have, just don't think it's a disease. They think you're A, wacky, B, lazy, mm-hmm. selfish. As a clinician, what do you tell your patient about how to deal with that?
1: Well, some of the reality is no matter how much education, no matter how much family counseling we're involved in, some people might never get it. And that is sad. And that is something you're probably going to have to grieve and recognize. I don't have the family involvement that I wish I had. So some of this is simply, this is just the reality that you're going to have to live with. And I'm going to circle them back to the same thing I just said before. Recognize my worth is actually in my connection to those key values, even when I don't always live them out. That's a hard thing to hear. Sometimes they just won't. But the key here is I cannot utilize my diagnosis as an excuse. And many of the people we work with don't want to, That is simply just a matter of clarifying and trying to explain what are the dynamics that are going on in my life, You know, particularly gives psychiatrists a handle to be able to medicate and gives insurance companies a, a handle to be able to code. At the end of the day, this is not who I am. These are aspects of who I am, but it's not the totality of who I am. And my task is, how do I live my life, my most meaningful life, in the midst of this confusing world that I live in? And relationships with my family that I that maybe they'll never understand me.
0: Have you ever had the occasion as a clinician treating somebody with a mood disorder to say to a family member who is just stuck in the, I don't get what's going on here and it's making me angry and hostile, that that behavior, while uh, uh, understandable, is, regret, is regretful as well and also dangerous? Have you ever mm-hmm. had, I mean, it is dangerous for a family yes. member to mm-hmm. resist the notion that their loved one is ill.
1: Yes. Yes, it is because so much of the issue many families have is I I don't understand why. Why is this child that I raised? Why is this parent that I grew up with? So there's a lot of confusion. There's just a lot of like throwing your hands up in the air. Like, why, how do we get here? At the end of the day, though, families are often on the same page, which is they desire connection. They desire understanding. They desire being included and involved with one another in some way. How we get there and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's messy. It's not going to look like what we perhaps would have painted. I think again, the connection to values. Another one is boundaries. And then that's where I begin and where I end. What do I have to offer? And I would think that for families, that's something that's imperative to talk about because the person who's struggling with mental illness is usually struggling with the fear that they're going to be abandoned. And so that conversation is, you know, honey, this is, I'm, I'm not abandoning you. This is how I can be able to be available to you. This is what I can give. This is what I can't. This is when I'm available. This is when I'm not. And recognize those boundaries will be trespassed. Somebody's going to run past those boundaries. They're fearful, but they're essential. The boundaries are the means for people to have relationships when they're consistent. Another piece is for families to learn how to be on the same page and how we relate with each other.
0: What about timing here? Is it, mm. is it wise to say to somebody, who's struggling with a mood disorder and not getting any support, in fact, getting opposition from their family. Mm-hmm. Listen, your job is to get better, manage your problem. Your family situation is not helpful. Put it over here, mm-hmm. put it over there, and then work on yourself. You can always circle back and straighten
1: that out. Part of this is for a person who, when you have received a diagnosis and – If that starts to make sense in terms of putting together like these are the patterns and this is why and learning to really become at home with what that means, learning to build some kind of connect understanding of what that means for that to be helpful to you, that's really very much about the person themselves. They have a lot of work to do just in, again, developing how do I value my own wellness? How do I work at the basic things of, of valuing wellness and prioritizing my own wellness day by day? dealing with our families that will happen at some other case i mean we you know we're working on just how we deal with phone contacts and family contacts here L- literally it's often helpful not to have deep invasive conversations with families at this time <laughs> i barely understand it myself at this point if i'm the, if i'm the patient how do i expect my whole family to to come along at the same sure. at the same page sure you know and so yeah pacing that across time realistic expectations are, um, they're very difficult because we, you know, we, we want so much. We want yeah, so I'm much from others. I'm in
0: pain. I'm hurting. Why don't you, why don't you see that? Why don't you acknowledge that is understandable, but kind of like, you know, it's fruitless. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they just don't see it. They just, they just don't see it that way. Finally, uh, you know, we've, we've skirted around the issue of, uh, uh drugs in the treatment of mood disorders We're, which is very common um it always struck me as more of a uh, art than a science. I what do you tell people you get frustrated that they keep changing their meds and it doesn't seem to be working
1: you know, and I think this is this actually points to uh the necessity of good psychiatry, people who can track and recognize how one drug is interacting with another drug I, I will tell our people sometimes unfortunately, you are your own guinea pig you know there there are broad trends in terms of how psychopharmacology works with people but there are also intricacies that this is just how this affects this one person you know there's a huge difference in how people are treated with bipolar versus people who are treated with depression in fact treating depression can spur episodes of bipolar if you have the wrong meds part of that again it it's going to require patience where um we're not we're lacking in patience to start with because again right. so much of this is misery but yeah. um But again, I I just want to point out that is one of the reasons I think good psychiatry is so essential. People who can work with a person across time, recognize the patterns, how are these meds interacting with one another, how this was effective for this period of time, and now we're seeing that it's no longer as effective. Um, That's why stamina and that kind of relationship is really key. I think another key thing, again, just to kind of deal with families, is, you know, being connected to values, uh, having clear boundaries, trying to be on the same page. And the other is to be able to reach out, Uh, reach out to the family member, reach out to the person with the diagnosis. Uh, The fear so much of the time is I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be left behind. Um, And being able to reach out from a place of some strength to invite family members in is one of the things that, that is very healing. Across the board, to the family as well as to the individual,
0: it is a um, tough uh, not to untangle. It really, really is. Uh, it, this is the, you, you're playing the long game here, right. and mm-hmm. we know that there are no you know magic bullets or quick fixes. Tom Longenecker, uh, from Retreat Behavioral Health, uh, clinical supervisor. Thanks uh, a lot, Tom. Uh, you're with us so often. I feel like you're a co-host here. Appreciate it. Just finally, this thing about good psychiatry, or good Diagnoses. What's the best way to find a good clinician or, or therapist? You just have to be lucky or or what? Uh,
1: there might be some luck to go with that. Um, I think one of those, uh, one is uh, to tap any of your resources. Um, sometimes that's uh, just by who, what's what's the word on the street? Who are other people talking about? But your own clinician, if you're working with a therapist, they might have some references for you as well. Uh, you know, it's also like even finding a good therapist. Some of that's trial and error. Who, who do I work with and how does this come together? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think any of the resources, but I think oftentimes through your own therapist um, and other people who are working with their own, living with their own mental health issues can also be uh, some resources to pointing the way.
0: Tom, thanks a lot. We, we sort of just scratched the surface here. It's, it's going to be an issue uh, going forward. We hope we can call upon you again. Thanks so much for your time.
1: And thank you. I appreciate your good work. And always I'm glad when you invite me to be here.
0: Behavioral Corner, look for us everywhere, no matter where you find these podcasts. We'll be there. Uh, Like us, subscribe to us and let us know what you think of the Behavioral Corner. Catch you next time. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care we offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on The Behavioral Corner.